Today's guest has achieved amazing things for such a young person. Jemima is a diagnosed dyslexic student who is currently studying provisional medicine at the University of Queensland. After taking a gap year, Jemima started her own company called Dyslexic Demystify to support and empower young people with dyslexia. She's presented keynotes to students, teachers and parents at more than 40 different schools around Victoria and Queensland and recently made her international debut in Japan at the Asian Pacific Dyslexic Festival in 2019. It's my pleasure to speak to Jemima today to share with you her inspirational story of what can be achieved as a young dyslexic. I hope you enjoy this show. Jemima, it's so exciting to have you on the show today and to share with our listeners all your amazing work that you've been doing. So you recently moved to Queensland to start your degree in medicine. Congratulations. That's two significant uh, life-changing events, studying and living interstate away from your family. How have you been going? Thanks, Shay. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Look, it's so far so good. Um, We had a few bumps in the road naturally, but I think we are starting to figure out our routine now. Um, And all is going really, really well. I've been enjoying my course, um, uh, yeah, a lot. So uh, been really good so far and and enjoying the sunny weather up here in Queensland compared to Melbourne. Well, I must say it has been quite sunny down here lately. We've been a bit spoiled. (laughs) We have indeed, yeah. (laughs) So did you move up there on your own or have you got family and friends up there? No, totally alone. Um, So I don't have any family or any friends up here. Um, So it was a bit of a, you know, bit of an unsettling move, I guess, not having my strong sort of support network around me. But um, so far, I've been coping really well. And I, you know, we have regular sort of FaceTimes with my whole family on on each week. So um, yeah, I've been coping really well with that. And I'm living in a college style environment. So I've got plenty and plenty of young people around me who are here to support me, which is really, really nice. Yeah. Well, that's great. Have you met any fellow dyslexics yet? Uh, I have actually. I have um, one of my next door neighbours is actually dyslexic. So there you go. Um, And he's been busily watching all my YouTube videos and um, (laughs) yes, uh, making fun of me, I think. But uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think the 10% is definitely a real figure at college, that's for sure. So you took a gap year off between school and university and instead of travelling around the world or nannying like most of us do, um, you started your own business called Dyslexic Demystified. What led you to establish your own business? That's not really taking a break, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <laughs> well, to be fair, I actually did a lot of my travel um, throughout uh, my school years, which was lucky enough for me. Um, and I actually did nanny at the same time as having my business. So there you go. I did do both. Um, but no, I... <sighs> Look, I took my gap year off initially because I thought I needed a bit of a break after some intense years of study and um, I'm not very good at taking breaks. I think holidays have always been a bit of a challenge for me. I get bored quite easily. I'm not diagnosed with ADHD, but I feel like I could be on that spectrum and so I decided, right, I need something to do. Um, (laughs) And I guess after VCE, I sort of had a bit of a reflect and thought that I'd actually learned a lot of valuable skills during that time. And I'd I'd sort of gone through this huge growth process mentally um, around my own learning. And 
um, sort of figuring out what strategies, you know, were working best for me as a dyslexic student and why and which teachers were working best for me and why. Um, and upon that reflection, I think I just decided that that knowledge could be of use to other students like myself. And um, I guess I wanted to give back a bit as well. And that was sort of part of it. And then I had a friend of mine um, who actually started a business in this, uh, of, of the same sort of nature uh, in the autism space. And I thought, hey, you know, maybe I could do something like that and, and share my knowledge and even just share my story with other young people, other parents, other students and teachers. And that's what I ended up doing. And I just started from there. I literally started, you know, by creating a PowerPoint and just taking my PowerPoint to market and letting people know what I was doing. And it was a very, very organic process. I think a lot of businesses start out that way. There wasn't a business plan. I've never studied business or economics in my life, but I sort of jumped in with two feet and it ended up going pretty well. So yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that about growing organically and not having a business plan and never studying business because that's exactly how the foundation started. Yeah, exactly. With right. our podcasts and then I needed somewhere to host the podcasts and then it kind of grew from there. So it's an amazing um, achievement for it, you. It is, but, you know, I think it's also... A, a, a bit of a part of my dyslexia as well, if that makes sense, because um, about 30% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic. And I think a lot of us sort of have those natural entrepreneurial skills sort of that come with our dyslexia. So I just sort of embrace that part of my brain, if you like. And it, it's a lot of it did sort of come naturally. A lot of us are natural salespeople or just really intuitive at making relationships and connections. So I think I just really tapped into that side of myself and, and, you know, focused on my strengths and it, you know, it's ended up going pretty well so far. Yeah. So you've spoken at over 40 schools in Victoria and Queensland, and you recently came back from Japan, which was exciting to hear um, yeah. to present over there. So what's the reception been like from schools and parents and other young people that have dyslexia? Uh, the reception of the message. Sorry, just to clarify. Yeah. yeah. Your story. Um, Look, most of the time it's really positive um, and a lot of people are just really happy to um, hear stories of success. I think that's really important because most people when they receive a dyslexia diagnosis see it more as a, as a crushing sort of thing, you know, something that an issue, a problem, a disease, something that they're going to have to deal with for the rest of their life and it can be quite overwhelming. Um, and I think the perception in our society today, unfortunately, is still that dyslexics cannot be successful or we're less intelligent or lazier uh, than other individuals. And it's obviously that's absolutely not true. Um, and so for them to, particularly for students, to sort of see that you can be successful, you can still go to university, you can achieve your goals despite having this, you know, thing in the background, um, I think is really powerful for them. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of the time that message is really well received. Um, when I went to Japan, actually, um, it was quite interesting because their systems are perhaps a little bit more behind than ours mm -hmm. uh, in terms of accommodations. And not many people have really heard of dyslexia over there. It's not, you know, when you walk around Australia, most people would have heard of the word dyslexia. They might have a, a bit of a warped, uh, vision of what that means but they have heard of it whereas in Japan it's just not common um, it's only just starting to sort of become a thing if you like so 
the perception over there and, and the limited help over there is quite different to what we have in Australia. But then in the same sense, you know, if we're looking internationally here, um, you know, the UK might even be, you know, a little bit in front of us just because they've sort of got a, a, a few more supports that have been, you know, developed a bit more than ours. Um, so we're sort of looking to hopefully move a bit more towards where the UK is. So I think it really depends in, t in terms of how people receive the message, it depends where you lie on that spectrum of how much you know about dyslexia already. So yeah, it's so far really well received and I've made some awesome connections along the way with people and, and particularly with young people. So yeah. That's fantastic. And it is interesting because um, Singapore does a lot of work in dyslexia and a lot of um, other Asian countries, but I was gonna ask you what it was like in Japan. So, um, because yeah, the UK is much further advanced, particularly in supporting adults, I think in the workplace, they have um, dyslexic assessors and people that can go in and advocate for you in the workplace. Which yeah, is well, that's, that's, that's right. And, um, and a lot of, in fact, a lot of the Japanese who are sort of getting onto the dyslexia side of things have decided to actually jump over to the UK. Um, a lot of them are doing, you know, exchanges over there. And I actually have a, a friend in Japan um, who is setting up a business around, um, you know, getting young people in touch with people in the UK so that they can go and do school exchanges over there and, and become international students over there um, so that they can have that increased support um, because it's just currently not there in Japan. So, yeah, really interesting to look at it from a bit of an international perspective. Yeah, it definitely is because we always feel like we're so far behind, but it's interesting to see where other countries are as well um, mm. on the amount of support people are accessing or even just getting an assessment. Yes. Yeah. Getting a diagnosis is, you know, it's still a very iffy sort of process over there. So yeah, mm. quite interesting. So how have you managed study and the business and you're working as well? So, I mean, that's a lot, especially when you've moved in the state and you don't have those support networks like you had in Melbourne. So how have you been managing all of that? What are some of the strategies you've been using? Ah, well, it's funny you ask that. Um, look, to be honest, I didn't manage it well um, in the in the first couple of weeks. Um, and I had some strategies in place ready to sort of, you know, before I came so that I was ready and prepared to deal with, you know, all the situations and, and the new the new situations, I guess. Um, but to be honest, I have a tendency to work myself into the ground a little bit um, and to take on too much. Uh, and that's sort of what happened here. Um, and, you know, a bit of an honest reflection here, uh, <laughs> a bit of a raw moment, but yeah, I, I ended up taking on too much. Essentially. I was, I was doing rowing and, and swimming and water polo and hockey all for, um, for my college. And I was doing my business and trying to, you know, visit people and have meetings with people and do Skypes and things from college. And then also doing a full-time uni degree <laughs> and having placements as well, um, over the weekend. Cause I actually, um, you know, we could have night shifts over the weekend or whatever. Uh, so basically, yeah, I ended up having a bit of a meltdown probably about three or four weeks ago. Um, but I think there are a lot of things in reflection in hindsight that I should have done uh, before I got there because uh, I ended up getting quite ill and, and that sort of thing as you do when, you know, stress accumulates. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I was very good about checking in with myself and I could see it happening. You know, it didn't just come out of nowhere, this little crash of mine, but, um, you know, I could see it happening. I started out getting a few headaches and I thought, Oh yeah, better slow down. And I 
then I started out getting, you know, a, a bit of a chest virus and things like that. And I thought, oh yeah, I should probably slow down. Then I started getting conjunctivitis and all these other sort of infections. Um, and at that point, it just, you know, it all got a bit too much, just the day, pretty much the day of my exam. And I woke up feeling really, really ill um, the day of my mid-semester exam, but I, I ended up pushing through it and, um, and, you know, doing reasonably well. I did my best, I have to say, but um, I think it's just really important strategy wise to be constantly checking in with yourself and self-reflecting um, so that you can maintain that health. Um, but then also making actions to make sure that, you know, with those check-ins, if things aren't going so well, that you're actually doing, you know, making active decisions to change that state, um, which is what I wasn't doing. Uh, and, you know, I, I have really good open communication with my parents and, and, you know, they knew what was going on. I wasn't sleeping a lot, obviously, because I was on placement as well. So I was getting like three hours of sleep a night and trying to film YouTube videos at 2am in the morning and all these sorts of crazy student life things. But um, I think I eventually realised I had to slow down. Um, and I'm very, I'm luckily I've become quite organised. Um, my mum is a little bit OCD in that nature and made sure that I became quite organised. So I have, you know, lots and lots of lists and to-do lists and schedules and calendars and things that keep me on top of what I've got going on. But I've also now become quite good at prioritising and saying, actually, this, can, this job can wait or I can, um, you know, hand this job over to somebody else. You know, I think delegation is a skill that I'm still working on myself. Um, but now that I have a couple of people working for me, I can delegate those tasks to them. Um, and, and that's, you know, really positive. I just have to remember that I can't do it all. Uh, and, and I have to pass off some of those tasks sometimes and that's okay. Um, but I think, you know, when I get to that crashing point, I guess one of my key strategies is to um, find a place that I can go to, to sort of reflect formulate a new plan and leave those strategies in that place. For me, I really like to go to somewhere that's um, quite natural or near water, um, somewhere where I can be active. I love being active. Um, I think, you know, physical exercise is extremely underrated in terms of how it reduces stress. Um, and that's often what I do to keep myself in check mentally. So I'm not um, sure if five different sports is... <laughs> Yeah, well, look. I would have thought one would be enough. Yeah, look, I, I know, I know. I just, I get so excited by things and I get really passionate about things and I think I, that's why I just, I join up for everything. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so I, I think also just having the ability to say no as well, you know, or just for me it's not so much saying no because then I get really sad that I'm not doing things and I get the, a bit of FOMO, but, um, you know, it's saying I can do that next semester or I can try that next year you know it doesn't have to be right now that opportunity will still be there so yeah right. but I think I think definitely having a place that you can go to to de-stress um is really good and and being away from my family you know I don't have the uh constant sort of ability of debriefing after each day you know when I when I go home to my family we always have dinner together and we always sort of debrief and tell about our days and I was missing that sort of ability to be able to do that. Um, and so I've actually got myself a little wellness journal from Officeworks and, uh, and it's, you know, it sort of just has little prompts in this journal about, you know, 
what worries you might be having or what things you're grateful for, uh, three positive things that happened today. And, it, you know, it sounds a little bit, can I say wanky, but it sounds a little bit wanky. Um, but it's actually been really good to sort of keep my mental health in check and make sure that I'm constantly reflecting and kind of getting out those stresses rather than having them all build up inside myself and, and cause me more stress. So they're yeah. probably the main two strategies I've been using, yeah. It's all about mindfulness, I think, and just, as you say, checking in. We need to check in and see where we're at because it can get overwhelming when you're doing multiple things. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, yeah, I was just feeling like I was... you know, I was going to be missing something like I was, I was maybe I'd, you know, miss, missed a deadline somewhere that I hadn't put in my calendar. You know, I was really mm-hmm. paranoid about it. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> so how's the university been um, support wise for you coming in as a dyslexic student, particularly in medicine, that's a really hard um, course to mm-hmm. be undertaking. So what sorts of um, supports have they put in for you? Oh, they've been, they've been amazing. Honestly, I, I was very uh, sort of, resistant uh to accommodations at university only because i'd had such a poor experience with school um but i i knew i'd had so many people who had told me oh trust me once you get to university you know it's so much easier they'll just give them to you and i was sort of a bit suspicious i sort of thought no this can't be right because you know you have to work so hard to get those accommodations at school um but I literally turned up, you know, to my disability support meeting and I was like, right, you know, here I am, here's me, here's my report, you know, of my dyslexia. No, I don't have to keep proving that I'm still dyslexic, even though it's a condition I'm going to live with the rest of my life. Uh, I don't have to be reassessed. They're actually going to give me things that will help me to succeed. You know, I actually feel like they're going to help me, um, <clears throat> which is something that I didn't really experience in the school system. So it was really, really refreshing actually. Um, And they've got just so many more support networks there. Like, you know, this lady was willing to get me in touch with, you know, this particular learning advisor or this, you know, counsellor if I needed it or, you know, anybody else who I needed. And they were just so willing to want to help. And yeah, it was just really, really refreshing. So I ended up getting my accommodations for my exam. Um, so my extra time and, and things like that within literally, I think it was a week or two, which was just crazy because the BCE process takes months for those things to come through. So really quick, really efficient. Um, and just the fact that I didn't have to keep proving that I was still dyslexic was just, yeah, it was awesome. So uni have been really, really great at, at supporting. Um, so young people, please don't be concerned about going to uni. It is a lot better than school. <laughs> it's, um, interesting you say that. Cause I just did a podcast with a mother and son recently and, um, that's all they say to people is you just need to get through school. Cause once you get to uni, it's a whole different world and it's it exactly what you just said. So it's just, um, trying to work out a way to support those young people to get to that point. If that's what they want to do, um, that they've got those options. So I'm really positive to hear that you've been well supported. Frustrating still that it's not happening in the school system. Yeah. At least um, if you're able to take that next step, that that's fantastic. Yeah. So um, is there any advice that you'd give students or young people that are wanting to do what you've done in moving from home and going to uni? Um, like in the first week, it's so overwhelming trying to navigate your way around uni and I still get lost at Latrobe and I've been studying there since I was 21. (laughs) So I've been linked with Latrobe for a long time. Um, but it's grown as well and has changed over the years. Mm. 
But I mean, there's so many things you have to think about around navigating, around meeting new people, learning your class timetable. Um, so were there any particular things you did to help you? Yeah. Um, I mean, look, for me, it's even harder, I would say, because I don't actually have a regular timetable. My my course uh, just likes to change things up. So we actually have a different timetable every single week. Um, so I really have to stay on top of things. Um, look, as I said, with my, with my semi-OCD mother, I think um, I've become really well-trained uh, from a young age in, in being organised. And I think it's really important to develop those organisational skills before you leave and go, you know, if you're moving interstate or you're moving away from home, go in with a plan of how you're going to organise things, um, which is what I did. Um, I like having my jobs visible um, and I do not like having a diary or something like that that's written down because I lose it all the time. Um, so for me to have an electronic calendar is the best you know point of call so that's you know and I've developed that system of, of what calendar works for me and um you know when I input all of those things that I need to be doing um and so going yeah going away with a plan of you know how are you going to record your um homework essentially in in, in uni you know where are you going to put that how are you going to record your notes you know are you going to do it electronically on a laptop are you going to do it you know handwritten um you know, how are you going to record your list of things to do? Um, you know, for me, it's on my whiteboards in my room because then it's really visible um, and I can rub them off. It's really nice. Um, but organisation is a is a really key factor, I think, in, in becoming an adult and in moving away from home because you constantly don't have your parents saying, oh, have you remembered to do this? Have you remembered to do that? So um, I think that's been one of the biggest sort of learning curves for me, um, not having my mum. And that's why I get paranoid uh, that I'm forgetting things because I don't have mum saying, you know, have you forgotten about this? Um, but I think, yeah, organisation is, is really, really key. And, and finding um, some new support networks um, is really, really important, uh, particularly because I don't have any family up here or, or any friends, you know, I, I pretty much came in blind. Um, that's what that's sort of why I chose the college environment in a sense um, because I have people around me constantly I'm, I'm very much a people person I like chatting away to people and, and having someone just down the hall or you know across the room for me is, is really nice um, but definitely establishing those friend networks and, and that can be really hard in the university environment sometimes particularly if you go to a, quite a large university uh, because, you know, large universities, you might have somebody different, you know, or a different cohort of people in every single class that you're in, um, even from week to week. So it can be quite difficult to make friends, but really pushing yourself to, you know, start conversations and um, get to know people and just talk about your interests with people is really good. Um, sorry, there's a plane going past my room. Uh, like, what is that noise? Yeah. <laughs> 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 always the way um and what else have we done uh moving away from home so have you had any um started using any technology that you didn't use at school that helps you with your lessons oh good question um Yes, but more of uh, the, I guess the main technology that I started using was I'd actually switched my laptop. That was sort of the only major change I made. Um, I 
really liked the idea of having all of my notes and everything in the one spot. For school, I hated having some of my notes that were on my computer or, or PDFs that were on my computer and then having to switch over to my books and I would lose my books. I'm very good at losing things. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to have something that was all in the same place that I wouldn't lose. So I ended up actually going out and buying a new laptop. I'd switched from my Mac um, and I also hate Apple. Oh, intensely but anyway that's another tangent um but yeah I decided I was going to get a PC um and I've got a two-in-one that sort of flips into a tablet so it means I can actually write on the screen when I want to but I can also have uh you know the typing functions as well and it's just been so amazing it's just practical in every way for me it just really really suits me and I, I wish I had gotten one in school um but Yes, I, I then had the funds to be able to do so. So <laughs> as a poor student, I was able to afford, afford my computer. Um, but yeah, that was sort of the only major technological change. I found that everything else I've used in school, particularly in the 11 and 12, were really transferable to uni. Um, I struggled a little bit initially in the lecture format, just because I'm so used to interacting with the teacher and sort of uh, prompting questions and, and wanting instant sort of replies. Uh, so it's been a little bit of an adjustment in that sense. Uh, but it means that I just have to make sure I'm always attending as a student because I think a lot of students like to not attend their lectures, um, which is fine. But, uh, you know, I think for me, I need to be able to ask questions afterwards. Otherwise, I'll forget them. So, um, yeah, for me that, you know, there's just a few little changes that I have to make at uni to make sure I'm, I'm on top of everything. So moving from uni into your, with your work hat on or your business hat, for yes. dyslexia <laughs> demystified, uh, what do you think the perception of dyslexia is in the community for young people? I mean, even at uni, I mean, the perception is, um, seems to be a lot better, a lot more understood. Mm. Mm. Um, but in the broader sense of the work you do, how do you feel that um, dyslexia is developing in the community around the awareness and understanding? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it is getting better. I want to start on a positive note. It is getting better. I think a lot more people, um, as we said before, from the international perspective, most people in Australia know what dyslexia is um, and have an idea of it. Um, but I think, unfortunately, for young people, uh, the perception is still that we won't be successful. Uh, and that's one of the most damaging things, um, I think, over our young lives is, is, you know, having that prospect of, oh, well, now I've got this diagnosis, I, I won't be successful in, in anything I do or I can't do what I want to do because, you know, I can't access university or, or TAFE or, or whatever it may be, further education. Um, and so that that's really crushing and, and that's the perspective that I'm trying to change in my business is that, you know, young people can be successful. You can, you know, achieve your goals. You can do what you want to do. You just have to take different routes to get there. That's my whole message, I guess. Um, so I think, yeah, I, unfortunately, I think that still is the case. Um, and that can, you know, really get young people down and, and understandably so. Uh, but I think, yeah, it is, it is changing with, with more people, particularly in business or, or in, uh, in the workplace who are becoming really successful. You know, I think a lot of parents choose to show their children the famous dyslexics of the world uh, so that they can have a bit of an insight into actually, yeah, these people, you know, they're dyslexic too, but they can do really cool things um, is, is awesome. But sometimes that also can seem too far away from them um you know like me looking at as a as a young entrepreneur looking at Richard Branson going well you know that's 
10,000 steps away from where I am now, you know. So having relatable cases of, of success within our community, I think are really, really important. Um, but I hope the perception is changing. I think it is getting there and our systems are starting to reflect that. You know, it's a, it's a lot easier to get accommodations now at school uh, or, or it's even possible to get accommodations at school now than it was, you know, even five years ago. So I think it is changing. Um, but I think success is, yeah, definitely one of the biggest perceptions out there. And there's also, unfortunately, the sort of, you know, I, I had a lot of older dyslexics who have said to me, oh, in my day, it was just called stupidity. Uh, and, you know, I think that sort of stupid, lazy perception might be still hanging around a bit from the past, which can be quite also quite damaging to self-esteem. But um, I think we are getting better. Yeah, we are getting better as a society. As a society so, yeah. And it's um, a really valid point you raised around that, you know, there's the Richard Bransons of the world. And as an older entrepreneur, I'm, you know, trying to get to where he's at. It's um, a really, really far off goal. Um, not that I'm really aiming for that. But it's really important that we show um, young people and even I think adults that there's, you know, you can still achieve what you want to and you don't have to be a Richard Branson. There's lots of garden variety dyslexics out there. Well, I call myself a garden variety dyslexic. Oh, yeah, no, me too. I'm in that box as well. <laughs> <laughs> but are just, you know, trying to just get through the day the best we can. Um, so, yeah, it's really important that we do showcase a variety of people and not just um, highlight all the time mm. successful shares and Richard Ransons and the other people that are, Orlando Bloom. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So what do you hope to see change in the next five years? I mean, a lot has happened in the last five years, you're right. Um, but we still have a long way to go in Australia. So what do you hope will change for young people? Okay. Um, I mean, five years is a fairly short time. But um, yes, we want a lot. We want to change a lot in five yeah, years. Yeah, we do, we do. Um, and I, I think... I, sort of three things if I had to summarise. I think the first thing would be um, I would hope that accommodations and things would be more accessible. Um, you know, I still, um, you know, at university in 2019 and not all of my textbooks are online. Like, why is that a thing? You know, that's in my eyes, that's discrimination. Um, that's like, you know, lining up all the kids with mobility issues and say, Oh no, sorry, you can't have a wheelchair today. Um, so for me, that's, you know, that's, I think a key thing that I think needs to change is making those um, those supports accessible. And also just the fact that, um, you know, one of the reasons why I started YouTube was I was just astounded by the fact that there is so much supportive information out there, but it's not accessible to dyslexics because it's all written down, which I just think is ridiculous. You know, it's the biggest joke in the world. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, making sure that we can actually enable those young people to access those supports just purely by having them in a video format or a podcast like we're doing today, you know, something that they can listen to at least so that they don't have to read, uh, I think would be, you know, really, really important. Um, and the other thing is, you know, making sure that those uh, accommodations are uh, accessible in a uh, university or school or institution setting, you know, like, can we access those accommodations through the system? Because as we were saying before, the school system is just notorious for, you know, turning down students for accommodations. Um, and they are getting better. I, I do have to say, you know, um, particularly in Melbourne, you know, VCAR are getting a lot better at uh, accepting accommodations for, for students with dyslexia. But 
smoothening out that process in terms of, you know, why do I have to keep proving, you know, every couple of years that I'm still dyslexic, you know, this isn't something that goes away. And that can be quite a trauma, traumatic um, diagnosis experience. I know for me, it was, you know, quite a, a, an emotional experience as I was diagnosed only at 15. So, um, you know, having to go through that traumatic diagnosis process all over again, every couple of years just seems, you know, a little ridiculous. So, you know, making those processes smoother and, Finally, just empowering more young people to talk about dyslexia um, because in the young people space, in the student space, it's not there. I think as adults, you know, we talk about it, um, but as students, we don't talk about it at all. We don't talk about learning disabilities um, or learning differences. And I think that needs to change so that young people can find other young people who are like them because, you know, if we do find our tribe and, and do all those sorts of things, I think, you know, having that support network is just so, so valuable. Um, one of the first questions I ask my parents that I talk to in parent consultations is that, you know, has, has the young person got another young person who's dyslexic? Have they met anyone else who's young, who's dyslexic? And, you know, that's where I can step in as a bit of a student mentor and say, Hey, I'm dyslexic too. And, and we're close in age, but you know, as I get older, you know, who else is going to step into that, <laughs> into yeah. that space? So you know, that's make- so important because when I was diagnosed, I didn't have anyone either. And it wasn't until after I was diagnosed that we found out how my family was. But for a long time, I was very socially isolated because nobody knew about it. So absolutely. Finding yeah, a absolutely. peer is really important. So, so important. Um, so I think, yeah. And also just the more we get it out there, um, you know, the more young people are aware of it, you know, the, the less stigma we're going to have as well. So it's sort of killing two birds with one stone. So we just need to be talking about it more in that, in that student space um, because yeah, kids just aren't aware. And I think it's really easy, you know, to leave kids out of those conversations because I think, you know, as a society, we want to protect them. And, you know, even if we have, you know, parents might have their own child who's dyslexic and they've just found out and they won't tell the child or, or, you know, maybe the child knows, but they don't really know what it means or something like that. You know, that's, that can be quite disempowering and and can hurt their self-esteem as well because they're going, I know something's wrong. You know, I know something's different, um, you know, with me compared to other, other peers, but, uh, I don't know why. Um, and that can be really damaging as well. So, you know, having young people involved in those conversations, you know, um, we want to protect them, but we also want them to be informed and, and be able to get information themselves and, and be able to speak up for themselves and, and self-advocate and those sorts of things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. That's a great way to finish, I think, our podcast. Unless there's anything else you'd like to say to our listeners out there for today? um no I don't think so I mean I don't want to go I I feel like we've gone on a few different tangents today I don't want to go on any other tangents but uh, you know if I had any message if there's any young people out there who are listening just please you know there's 10 percent or even more they think of the population who's dyslexic out there there's probably at least one other child in your class who is dyslexic um so please know that you're not alone it's not your fault Um, and it can actually be a really good thing. You know, I love my dyslexic brain. I hope you get to that point as well. Um, I embrace it, you know, at all costs and, and it's ended up being a real positive in my life because, you know, it means, it means that I've been able to meet all these amazing people. I've been able to do all these, have all these incredible opportunities. And, um, you know, I think trying to view it, you know, in a positive light is really important as well. Don't let it get you down. (laughs) No, don't let it get you down. That's exactly right. 
there's a lot of us out there. <laughs> there are, there are. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a wonderful way to end our podcast. Thank you so much. I hope everything goes well for you up in Queensland with all your studies and that you remember to check in with yourself and not do <laughs> too many sports. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for um, having me, Shay. We look forward to speaking to you again in another point. Will do. Thank you so much. Jemima, have a great day. If you'd like to find out more about Jemima, her story and all her work at Dyslexia Demystified, then head to the Dear Dyslexic website. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue, 1300 224636 or Lifeline 13 11 14. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.